This episode is brought to you by Galactic Fed, the award-winning digital marketing agency that I personally use and whose co-founders have both been interviewed on The Maverick Show, Zach Boyette and Irina Popik. Now, I personally use Galactic Fed for search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization, but they also offer services for email marketing, social media, website design, paid media, and more. They're basically a full-service end-to-end growth marketing solution. And they were founded by two digital nomads as a fully remote company, which now has 150 staff in 27 countries, so they understand remote entrepreneurs. What I love about working with Galactic Fed is, first of all, their team is fun and amazing, and I'm smiling and laughing on pretty much every call that we have, but I also love their scientific approach to growth marketing. They've worked with companies of all sizes and industries, ranging from edible arrangement to PixArt, and they've developed battle-tested digital marketing solutions that produce results that are scalable and repeatable. And Galactic Fed now wants to help you grow your business. They're offering you a completely free marketing plan for your business, which you can get at galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And if you do decide to work with them, like I do, just mention The Maverick Show and you'll get 10% off your first month of services. To learn more and get your completely free marketing plan, just go to galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And now here's a clip from what's coming up on today's episode. So we're trying to get out. And so we're going a little bit faster than usual. And then all of a sudden, this big, massive elephant goes in front of me. And so what you do is you kind of slowly back up and you're supposed to keep calm and maybe even shut your car off. But then all of a sudden, there's one big one behind us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I felt like my heart was going to like fly out of my skin. Like, And you're trying to keep calm for your kid's sake. You're like, it's all good. They're not going to sit on the car or anything, are they? <laughs> this is the Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Chantel Patton. She is a location independent entrepreneur who has traveled to over 100 countries together with her husband and three daughters over the last eight years. They have a family goal to visit every country in the world together and are documenting their journey on their YouTube channel, Growing Up Without Borders. Originally from Canada, the Patton family now world schools their kids while sharing their adventures and showcasing the beauty of different countries and cultures. The three Patton girls have even created a series of online classes for other kids called Geography Made Fun, learning geography from a kid's perspective. And through it all, somehow Chantel is continually able to prioritize a healthy work-life education travel balance for her family. Chantel, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. This is going to be really fun. I am so excited to have you here. You are doing amazing things. I am so inspired by your family's journey and your blog and your YouTube channel. And I'm super excited to dive into this. But let's just start off by setting the scene and talk about where we are doing this interview from today. Unfortunately, we are not in person. I am actually in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, on the East Coast of the United States. And you are in a very different time zone. Where are you? today? I am currently in New Zealand and it is morning time and it's absolutely amazing because if you didn't know, we've been COVID free here for the last over a year. So it's been phenomenal to live in a country that is pandemic 
independent from the rest of the world. You feel like you're living on some kind of isolated island with another 5 million people. You know what I mean? (laughs) That is completely amazing. And I have actually never been to New Zealand. I keep hearing amazing things. I have Kiwi friends. I keep running into travelers from New Zealand and people that have been there. But tell me, what has it been like for your family? What have been some of the highlights of New Zealand? I think one of the biggest highlights is meeting the local people here and some of the relationships. It's always about the people you meet, right? When you're traveling, it seems like just such a phenomenal thing to meet locals and get to know them. And then also just traveling and discovering this beautiful country. I mean, when we first arrived, we had no idea what to expect. And so it's just been phenomenal. Well, let's start back from the beginning, because I do want to pull out a little bit of your backstory. Can you just start off, Chantel, and talk a little bit about where you grew up? And as you were growing up, how did your interest in travel develop? Okay, so I was born and raised in Canada. And I guess a lot of my travel kind of inspiration came at quite a young age because I grew up with a dad who was from Switzerland. And so he would often take me on a trip. And so I started, you know, you you get that travel bug in you when you start discovering other countries and cultures. And I grew up with languages in our house. So both of my parents, their mother tongues were in English. So my dad was Swiss German. My mom was French Canadian. And I didn't speak any of those languages because the mother, the language of home was English. And that's what they spoke to communicate with each other. And so I can speak with both sets of grandparents. If you can imagine growing up and you can't talk to your grandparents on either side. I mean, it was just whacked. And so my mom was like, you know what, you need to learn one of the languages. So you're going to go to school and learn French. And I absolutely hated it. But my parents said, if you can learn this French language in one year, dad's going to take you to Switzerland, just you and him on a trip. And I was like, done. Like I'm learning it and we're going to make this happen. And I went on this trip to Europe and we were in Italy and I discovered different types of bathrooms. I mean, they still had holes in the ground. And I was like, what is this? You know, (laughs) all this stuff, but it gave me a bit of that little desire in me that, wow, there's a whole different world out there. And I think that's how initially the whole travel thing started, if you will, from that young age. And it just stuck with me. So when we started as a family, when I met my husband, one of the things that he really wanted to do was travel. And he was already kind of living a little bit of a digital nomad lifestyle in the Caribbean. So I was already like, oh, wait a second, this is one for me. Because at the time I wasn't meeting anybody, you know, that was remotely thinking that mindset. And I was like, that's what I want, you know, so it's just like kind of a perfect match for the way we wanted everything to be set up. And we're both basically very goal driven, which is good and very bad at the same time, because there's both of us that are like that, which means we're just like, always like, go, 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 go. And it's a little bit crazy. But at the same time, we both had that desire and we both had that ambition. We're like, this is what we want. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we want our life to be. And so every decision we did was based around what we wanted that lifestyle to look like. And so sometimes like, it's kind of like come hell or high water, we're going to make it work. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's amazing. And can you talk a little bit? You mentioned he was already a digital nomad. I know you've been a location independent entrepreneur for a really long time. Can you talk a little bit about how you generate location independent income? Because that's obviously a core piece of making this whole thing work. Yeah. Okay. So I'll back it all the way back to when we first met my husband and I, because he was already in the internet space, if you will, selling dial up internet way back when that was a thing and had like a computer type of store. And he decided to go to the Caribbean where he met some of the hotel owners and they needed websites built. So he's like, right, I'll stay for free and I'll build your website. So he already started this kind of like way of doing and trying to kind of break the rules of having to pay for expensive rooms and all this kind of stuff and make it work for him. And so then fast forward after we met, we got married, we just built everything so that our business can sustain that type of lifestyle so we can move and everything. And then of course, technology started to get really good. I remember the first phone where we can check email on a phone. I mean, it was just like, wow, this is like becoming a reality. Like maybe we can start to leave and like people won't know we're gone. But we established a business all from ground roots. I mean, we we met with every single client. We were wearing every hat in our company and it was all to do with online marketing and, and such like that. And that business was doing really well and basically allowed us enough income to be able to 
travel and to be able to manage it remotely. Now, all the logistics of managing your business as you're away and stuff has been absolutely sometimes a nightmare and other times like so rewarding. But you, again, you just, the positives outweigh the negatives. And so you find ways to make it work, right? A hundred percent. And so then... I think a lot of people have this mentality that like, okay, we can travel when we're single or, okay, I got married and we can even travel as a couple and travel with the spouse. But when the kids come, then we're really going to have to settle down and it'll be over and all this kind of stuff. So I'm curious if you can take us back, what was your mentality from the very beginning when you started having kids? What were your thoughts about travel and travel with the kids in the early stages of that? Okay. The first trade show my one daughter attended, she was like weeks old because I got a call in the middle of the night and one of our staff couldn't go. And I was just like, I guess I'm going with the baby, you know? And so I just let the baby sleep in the little seat and fed her along the way. And when you're self-employed and running your own business, you don't take maternity leaves and stuff like that. So you just kind of mix the kids in with everything you do. And coming from Canada, you get quite traumatized with those cold winters. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. And so we were like, I don't care. We're going to Florida and trying to like get a bit of a break and we're just bringing our kids. And at this time we had three kids. So it it was like a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a four-week-old. And we just drove to Florida. But I will say that traveling like that was an easy travel because going to Florida, it's the same language, you know, the the stores, you have access to all the medicine, you know, all those things are easy. Then if you fast forward and you start really, you know, traveling overseas and stuff, everything changes. And I think, you know, when I first started, to be honest, it was quite easy. Like my daughter was five years old, the youngest. That's an easy age. They can say if they're hungry, they can say if their belly is sore, you know, whatever. But it was still in my mind going to be hard because I was like, all I was envisioning is going to Europe and we're going to sleep in this really ugly old furnitured room and we're going to have to eat out dinner every night and then the kids aren't going to like it and then they're going to be hungry an hour later. And I was like, this doesn't sound like a fun vacation. Like, you know, when you have kids and you go to a restaurant, usually the husband will be like, oh, wasn't that nice, honey? You know, it was so great. We had a wonderful meal. And then the mom's like, no, that was awful because all you do is go back and forth to the bathroom and you're trying to keep your kids in order. And you know what I mean? (laughs) But anyway, so our first kind of long trip to Europe was a five-week trip. And I realized that there's a whole world out there of families who travel with kids who I thought nobody does this. But there's loads of people who do it. You just think that you're alone in the beginning because you think who in the world would do that. And then when you start doing it, you realize there's just different ways to travel. So we started staying at these places called Euro camps, which had really great setups, kid camps, programs and stuff like that. And you can make your own meals. And so we just traveled differently with the kids. And it was actually the most rewarding and most fun thing we've ever done. And then that really sparked and ignited like, oh my gosh, we can go all around the world doing this. You know what I mean? And then now we're at a whole different level. That is amazing. Well, I want to ask if you can talk about how you structure your your lifestyle and your travel cadence with respect to having a home base, how often you travel, how long you stay. And it, it, it may have evolved over time because I know you've been doing this now since 2013, but maybe just start from the beginning, right? After you did that European trip and everybody in the family loved it and was super excited about it, what were your next moves and how did you structure your travel? Okay. Yeah, we did kind of ease into it, I would say, because when we first started traveling and, and things kind of just lined up for us, it was just amazing. But we thought, all right, let's try. Now we did five weeks. Let's try three months and see. Let's put our curls in a local school. And then we were in Europe and we could take them out of school in and out kind of. So we would do these little trips. They would have more kind of longer holidays in their school year. So we would take two weeks and it was great because you can hop around Europe and start doing that. Then we started saying, well, let's see if we can take them out for an extra month, you know, so we would get permission and take them out for a month. And then sometimes that one month would turn into four months and we would just kind of keep extending. But then it became that, you know, the the director of the school was like, this doesn't work for us anymore. (laughs) You can't do this anymore. So you're not allowed. And we were like, I guess we're going to homeschool then. And so this is, I think, is it year four or five of homeschooling for us? And 
in one sense, when our kids were in school and we had, I guess we didn't really have a rigid structure, but we somewhat did. It was good because we had good structure and everything, but it really limited us to what we really wanted to do and to work and manage work. You sometimes have to stay up late, which means you want to sleep in depending on the country you're in. And so really having our kids in school was like a nuisance to our lifestyle, right? In a sense, but there's a whole other level of responsibility as a parent when you're thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm in charge of their education, right? (laughs) So that all changed and a lot of pressure was on my shoulders. And then I just learned to like give it up and be like, you know what? They're going to be fine. They're absolutely going to be fine. And they're learning so much more when we're traveling. And they're so independently learning now. Like they're really, they just take to heart to learn things and they want to learn. And most kids in school don't even want to learn. You know, it's forced on them and they don't have this excitement. And I see my kids different and I'm like, oh, it's actually a really good thing. And it really, like you said, it did evolve And it opened us the freedom to fully travel by homeschooling and having that lifestyle to be fully location independent. So your first maybe two years or so, three years, maybe you were based in Switzerland and you had a home base and you had them in school and they were attending school with the other kids and all of that. And then you were just taking them out of school for somewhere between one and four months a year and just doing those kind of trips. But you had a home base and they had a school and they had their classmates and their friends and all that kind of stuff. And technically, we still have a base over there, which has allowed us for our kids sake to feel like they still have somewhat of a home. And on a typical year, we would travel maybe like the six to nine months or so and then go home each summer is what we've been doing. And then, of course, with COVID, everything's changed. I mean, we had no idea we'd be gone this long, but maintaining that base has allowed us to utilize sites that we didn't know about beforehand called Home Exchange, which it's just been phenomenal and revolutionized travel to a whole different level. Um, So yeah, we still have that base, if you will call it, we call it our closet. (laughs) Right. That's amazing. So, okay. So, so you initially started where you were basically nine months of the year you were in Switzerland and three months of the year you were traveling outside of there. And then you've now sort of swapped that so that you're now nine months traveling the world and you're coming back to Switzerland for about three months or so in the summer. That's kind of how you've designed it. I mean, I like to think that, but sometimes we're only there for 30 days in a year. It's just ridiculous. But yeah. Okay, got it. But you maintain the home base. Okay, so I definitely want to talk a little bit about the homeschooling and your tips for that, because there's a number of different concepts and terminology that's out there, like homeschooling, and then there's world schooling, and then there's unschooling, and all of this. And I know that you guys have really looked into this a lot, and there's now a lot of options out there for folks that want to do this. And I would love if you can talk a little bit about your tips for that and where your family has landed in terms of how you do it and why you've decided to do it that way and any resources as well that you recommend for other folks that that want to look into this. Yeah. Okay. hundred percent. So I did look into it over the years and then I attended a conference in Florida, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, they had, I don't know, like two football fields full of booths of homeschool options. I had no idea it was so big. And the benefit of being English speaking is that there are a lot of options. You know, when you're looking at French or Spanish, I don't know, maybe Spanish would have a lot, but I haven't really found that much in the French language because our kids do speak French and I wanted to keep that up for them and such. So I thought, well, it would be cool to have a French homeschool curriculum that they could follow, you know, because English is just easy on the side, but I haven't found it. So First of all, when we first started traveling, when you talk about luggage, we tried to travel light. Well, I had all these books. We had heavy suitcases full of books from the schools and the teachers. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. You know how much we pay extra for luggage now? You know, when you try to fly cheap and all this stuff, I'm like, this is crazy. So our curriculum that we chose was going to be an online curriculum which was challenging when we were in Africa, because as you know, the internet cuts out, the power cuts out. And that's when you learn to be like, you know what, let's just forget about school for another two months and we'll just pick up later. (laughs) Things like that happen. But it's just amazing. So I do believe in structure and an actual curriculum. Like, I don't know how unschooling fully works. I don't fully understand that, but I do think it's good for kids when they're learning. They have a good solid base. You know, you want to give them a good foundation and uh, you want them to be able to 
fit in, right? So we did choose a curriculum, but it's very flexible. I can assign lessons. I can omit a whole subject if I want. And that's what I ended up doing. Like I, I didn't even put history or geography on there because our kids are learning that firsthand and they're learning so much more than they can learn by reading text, right? And so that's what we use. We do have a, a curriculum called Monarch. It's growingupwithoutborders.com forward slash homeschool, I think is my link. You can get a free one month trial to see how it works, but it's been phenomenal for us as a tool. And it's really taken off the whole pressure on my shoulders because I don't have to grade a lot of the work either. So it's auto graded. So essentially I'm like a principal of our school, if you will. I kind of just oversee what they're doing. And because our kids are at an age now where I don't have to physically push them to do it. You know, when they were younger, it was challenging. I was, you know, having to make sure they would do their lessons and all that. But now it's become, it's pretty easy, I must say. And they're, they're kind of self-taught. Yeah. Well, I do want to get into that a little bit in terms of just for folks to understand the ages of your daughters, right? And maybe you could even introduce them a little bit in terms of like, what are their names? And, yeah. and at this point too, what are their sort of interests and passions? And like, tell us a little bit about your daughters. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So when we first tra- started traveling, Chloe is our youngest. She was five. Angelique is our middle child. She was seven at the time and Julia was nine. And that was when we first started traveling. And then they did the the two years of school. And then we were like, you know, pulling them out for months at a time. Um, and then they started homeschooling. So technically, Julia would have been 11 and then nine and seven when we were like full time homeschooling. And um, so still quite young ages, you know, to learn to be independent learners and all those kind of things. And now they've blossomed. So now they're 13, 15, 17. Julia's fully, you know, wanting to go into management and hotel management schools. And she's really like diving into that. She's reading books on law and civism. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) And like things like that and management books. So she's really into that. And then our middle child, she's into fashion design. She wants to have her own clothing brand line, which is really cool. So, and as well challenging because you can't travel around the world with a sewing machine. Unless like you, Matt, you know, her whole suitcase becomes her sewing kit. Like (laughs) she could, but... Uh, and then while well, the youngest, she just loves to sing and act. And she's like, that's what I want to be. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> she's still 13. She's, you know. That's amazing. So, okay. When you started this though, they were young and they were at all different grade levels. So how did you, while you're organizing travel logistics and running your own business, all of a sudden kind of jump in the role to facilitate the entire educational experience for three kids at three different grade levels. What was the strategy for that? It wasn't easy. Let's just put it that way. But it wasn't easy because I put a lot of pressure on myself. As soon as I was like, "Uh, they'll be okay. Then everything, all that pressure went away. And I was like, they're going to be fine. I, I mean, if I was just at home, in one country, I would really want to expose them to a lot of things and everything. But because we were traveling and on a daily, they were stimulated and learning from all the different, whether it's languages or museums or meeting different people or all these different scenarios that they've been through, they had a world of knowledge of learning. Like my daughter knows more about things than I knew when I was like 20 some years old. And I think like, that's just phenomenal. She knows more about languages. She knows more about, you know, capital cities and the way that just food or or different types of trees, you know, I didn't even know those things existed back then. So, yeah. (laughs) So how does the customization of the curriculum work? In other words, how do you integrate the, the experiences that you're having, right, when you travel with their curriculum? So the history of the place where you are and the language that they speak and the geography of the area and the animals that live there and the, you know all of those types of things, which obviously you want them to learn and experience when they're there. Are you able to sort of customize your curriculum so that they're able to study information about that stuff as they're personally experiencing it? Yes and no. So the curriculum I use is pretty structured. It's from the United States. So it's very much all, I would say, American based when it comes to, you know, some of the things they're learning. But on a side note, so let's say we are going to whichever country, let's say we're going to Cambodia. I can also, if I know the internet maybe won't be good, or we just will be busy sightseeing and such, I can 
take off days on their calendar and put those as non-school days and everything kind of gets adjusted for me and for them. And so then they just pick up again when we're ready to start. And then the way it works for them is they read like three or four pages and then they go through a series of questions. Now, when we're out hands-on learning, it's not like I you know, ask them to do an essay about certain things. I do sometimes ask them to help with some of the blog writing for what we've experienced. So they'll kind of write down their thoughts or keeping journals of everything they're doing, stuff like that I get them to do. The best way to learn is when you have to teach others, right? And so by them doing that, it helps them. And because we started this geography made fun, it's allowing the girls to now learn more about the countries they're visiting because now they know they have to teach somebody else, you know? (laughs) That's so amazing that you did that. I mean, I was so excited when I saw that. Can you share a little bit about what that is? Yes. So it is totally from their perspective, which means it's really what they experienced when they were there. And in some countries, they really know it well because we spent a lot of times there. Other countries, we just kind of maybe went through, but they're still having to go back and research some of the things to be able to share. But they they talk about the flag, the meaning of the flag, the currency that they're using, the clothing that the people wear there, the means of transportation, the general food that they eat, what the landscape looks like, what the capital city looks like. And then we have footage from our videos from when they're there. So we're sharing those footage of when they were there along with them talking about their experience. That's amazing. Well, I know you were in Asia right before the pandemic, before you went to New Zealand. You just mentioned Cambodia, and I know you've been to a number of other places there. What were some of the highlights uh, for the family and especially for the girls from Asia? What really kind of stood out to them? I think what stood out the most is honestly seeing how happy certain countries of people are, even though they've been through massive, massive turmoil. And to see, I think from the girl's perspective, to have that appreciation when they see this is what they eat on a regular basis. Like, for example, I'll give you a story. We went out for pizza one night. And I mean, Friday night pizza movie night is a is a thing around the world. I mean, most countries, a lot of families do that. Well, if you take the country of Cambodia, there are a lot of people, I mean, the majority who have never had pizza in their life. I mean, think about that. And so I think when the girls realized that and they were talking to some of the, because when we stay at places, we don't just not talk to the staff. We get to know all the staff. We get to talk to the locals. Like we get to know the people. Um, that's what interests us. Right. And and you say like, oh, you know, we, we're having pizza and they're like, oh, I've never had pizza before. And the girls hear that and we hear that as, and we're like, oh my gosh, you've never had that. So they're eating their rice and their noodles on a daily and, and you realize their pay and it's just really good experience for the girls and for us just to realize the differences and the inequalities around the world. I think every single child, especially in the United States, Canada, in some of these privileged countries. I think they should go and just live there for a month, not with all the luxuries and everything, but live. And then you come back and I think it would solve a lot of the problems with like, whether it's depression or whether it's, and I'm not saying that's the only thing that, but a lot of it is. I think when you start to realize these things and you start to see the inequalities and the injustice around the world and that you're just born a certain way and that you're just like, you know, naturally privileged, like it's just not fair. And um, I just think it's such a great eye opener for a lot of people to see. So that would be a highlight. You know, it's not like some monument or anything. It's just that. That's amazing. And I know you've taken them to so many different cultures and immersed them in so many different languages and cultural experiences and all of that. You guys have done, I think, almost every country in South America and Central America. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Because that's completely different from Asia. How was that for them? And what was their experience like there? Okay, well, first of all, we love all the Spanish speaking countries. I mean, we just love the culture. We love the liveliness of it all. And and we can relate and we can get by in Spanish. So it makes it really fun and easy for us. The highlights. Oh, man. 
it sounds so silly, but it was going just to Nicaragua, staying put for a while. It was after we've been moving around, moving, moving, moving. And I think all of us just needed a bit of a break. And it was such a shock to our system to think we were going to a country that we were only going to be in for three days because it was so dangerous. And then we got there and we spent nine weeks in one spot. And we were like, ah, this is awesome. And the girls were surfing <laughs> every day and we were meeting other families that were not the typical travelers, you know, just like these, just different style of travelers, including a family from New Zealand. And it was just awesome. So I think that would be one of the highlights was that. Nice. Yeah. Nicaragua is an amazing country. I probably spent about a month or so there. Where were you guys out? Like San Juan del Sur area by the beach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and the sunsets every night. And oh, it was just amazing. Yeah, and they got the floor, the Kanye rum, and, you know, it's just, you get that flowing, and it's just like a magical sort of uh, place. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's such a special place and really something that I've been telling people they should definitely visit as well. Well, I also want to ask you about Europe. I know you said you've traveled really extensively in Europe. And of course, if you have the base in Switzerland, that's super easy to do. I did want to ask you, though, about your Romania trip. One reason, because I know a lot of Romanians and I still haven't been there yet, and they've been telling me to come and I need to go and I still haven't been. So it's super high on my list. But how was your experience in Romania? Romania was amazing. Like, I absolutely loved our time there. If you've ever heard of Dracula, he was a real man and he had like this castle. There was this castle. And so you can go see. And it is just amazing. The whole area, Transylvania area. And we stayed at this inn. And this is crazy. So oftentimes my goal was always like, let's check in before you know, dinner so that we have enough time with the kids and whatever, but it often wasn't the case. And this is one of those nights that was exactly like that. And it was maybe around 12, 1230 at night. And we're pulling into this beautiful place we're going to be staying at. And we park the car and right, we get all the luggage out. And so we're walking into the inn with our suitcases. And I thought it was a little bit different because there were shoes at the front. And I thought, oh, you know, here in Romania, they must take off their shoes. Okay. So, you know, we start doing as we're supposed to, I guess. You kind of just adapt. And I'm like, well, where's the front desk? This is different, you know. And out comes this lady with a baby on her hip. And she's looking at us like, hello, may I help you? (laughs) And we were like, we're here to check in. And she's like, this is my house. (laughs) We're like, what? And at that point, yeah, I did exactly that. I almost peed myself laughing. I couldn't even move. I was holding the suitcases, laughing my head off. I'm like, this is hilarious. We're in someone's house in the middle of the night. And she's probably like, who are you guys? <laughs> it was hilarious. So anyway, she just kindly said, it's further down the road. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. And so then how was Dracula's castle? How did the kids uh, like that? That must have had a lot of context for it going in. How did it turn out? It was really cool. So he was a very brutal man and he would kill a lot of the people that were against him and just really brutal stuff. But it was just a really cool thing because I always thought it was just a story. You think of all these stories, they they actually come from a lot of the 1800s or whatever years they were in. It's amazing when you travel and like, you know, history comes to life. Also in Romania, though, I mean, we, we met this phenomenal couple that owned a ranch with all these horses. And we stayed at this place that felt like you were in Texas in the middle of Romania. It's just beautiful rolling hills. And then, oh yeah, it was just amazing. So awesome. So high on my list. I cannot wait to get there. I will definitely hit you up for recommendations when I start traveling again and planning that trip. I also want to ask you about your experience in Africa, because I know you've been to a number of countries there. I've probably spent about two years on the continent, but you have been to a number of countries that I have not yet been to. And I'm also super curious to see how the experience was for you and for the girls as a family and all of that. So can you share a little bit about the countries that you went to and what that trip was like for you? Yeah, it was amazing. So we started in Tanzania, in Zanzibar, and uh, it was phenomenal. We stayed at this beautiful place that was fully powered by the sun, which meant that, you know, if it didn't we didn't have sunshine. We couldn't power up anything. And we were, you know, eating fish from the sea and from their garden. It was just such a cool experience. And then discovering Stonetown and, and all that. It was just phenomenal. And then from there, we went over to Dar es Salaam. And then we 
flew over towards a different area of Tanzania to be able to cross down into Malawi. And then Malawi was a whole different ball game. And I mean, it was just such a different Africa. You know, it's so diverse there, right? You have super wealthy and developed countries and then not so developed countries. And so Malawi was one of those and traveling there. I mean, you don't even rent a car. You just do the chicken bus experience where you have everyone coming in with their fish and or a chicken and babies and everybody's squashed into this little vehicle and you stop every couple minutes and then people get out and people get in. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, and no toilets. So you've got a six hour car ride. We've got three girls and they expect everyone just to go behind a a building and just do your business. And it was just such a crazy experience. It was amazing at the same time. You know what I mean? Not what every traveler wants to go through, but it's great to have those experiences and to just live them. And then from there, we went over into Mozambique. Mozambique was amazing. We were in a beautiful beachside town right near the South African border. We met a couple there that were from the UK that we then adopted as our grandparents and ended up traveling with them in South Africa. So like crazy experiences, Um, but it was beautiful. You know, you're walking on the roads that aren't roads or just these big, massive sand roads that, you know, you think, how do cars drive on them? But they do. It's just unbelievable. We did a ferry crossing in um, Maputo and that's the capital city. And it was just like, we felt like refugees. Everyone was crammed on to get a ticket was like this, like, It was just such an experience. I mean, something you would never, ever experience in your life. And so it's just, it was cool. And then from there, where did you go next? Because you guys spent months, like this trip was months long. And so from Mozambique, where where did you go next? Then we did all of South Africa. So Richards Bay, then we went um, to Jeffrey's Bay for a while. Then we did the whole garden route to Cape Town. And then we went all the way up on the the west side and then into Namibia. We drove all the way through Namibia, went on uh, Swakopmund, which is on the coast. And then we went up through um, over into Botswana at the very top. And there's Itosha, which is a national game reserve of like three hour drive through a game reserve. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And then we went into um, Zambia and Zimbabwe to Victoria Falls. And then we did the whole thing back down through Botswana, stayed at a place in these tents where you had to be like inside by nine or else the elephants might come or the lions. Like it was just crazy. It was just amazing. And then we did the whole thing back down to Cape Town again, (laughs) as you do. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I want to hear about Botswana because I haven't been there either. I've been on a safari in Kenya. I went in Masai Mara, you know, and there you have the game reserve and, you know, all of that. Botswana, I understand, is quite different than that. Can you share how it is there? Botswana is different because they don't have their animals enclosed. So... In other countries, they have the game reserves that are with, you know, enclosures and people guarding them. There in Botswana, the animals are free to roam anywhere, which makes it extremely unique and extremely dangerous at the same time. Because when we were driving, (laughs) the one guy driving us, he's like, oh, that guy's risking his life by walking on the road. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy to think that he's risking his life. And then, yeah, so I think it's, it's different. It's also different in the sense that they haven't had as much trouble when it comes to racism and such like that. So the people are very united. I don't know if it's because they have less tribes as well, you know, because when you think of racism in in South Africa, for example, you think just white, black, but there's also a whole different ballgame when it comes to different tribes as well. And that we don't really think of that stuff, right? But that does exist over there, you know, if they're Zulu or they're this or they're that. And anyway, but I don't think Botswana has as much of that as a problem. So the people are very united. And um, yeah, it's just a really cool country. That is so awesome. What were some of the highlights for your girls in terms of the Africa experience? Oh, wow. Probably driving through the game reserves in a rental car because most of the time you go into the game reserves with a guide. And I strongly do suggest that, especially if you don't want to have PTSD from it, because <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> We uh, we were driving through the Utosha one, for example, and it was just after a massive rainfall. And so in certain countries, they have like these big, huge potholes, like not like little potholes, like potholes the size of your car. And when you add rain to it, like and I'm thinking we're going to get stuck. So we're just giving it our all through these big, massive potholes, water's coming up the sides and our kids are in the back going, mom, don't get stuck, you know, oh, my gosh. And then. 
I'm thinking like if we do get stuck, you can't get out of your car or else you're going to be like the leopards or whatever this is there. They're going to eat you, you know? And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then, you know, when the, the sun goes down, they all come out like the big, massive elephants and they are huge. And we were trying to get out. Now, this one was in South Africa and you have to be out by seven, I think, or 630, somewhere around that time or the gates close and you're in, you're stuck in the reserve, right? You know, they, anyway, so we're trying to get out. And so we're going a little bit faster than usual. And all of a sudden this big, massive elephant goes in front of me. And so what you do is you kind of slowly back up and you're supposed to keep calm and maybe even shut your car off. But then all of a sudden there's one big one behind us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I felt like my heart was going to like fly out of my skin. Like, and you're trying to keep calm for your kid's sake. You're like, it's all good. They're not going to sit on the car or anything, are they? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I think that was like a highlight for the kids. Like it was just like unbelievable. That's amazing. Well, let me ask you some general questions about how you structure your travel and particularly when you're traveling with younger kids, how do you have and design and create and plan for things for the kids to do in each of the places that you go and things that will be age appropriate and that will be engaging and interesting and all of that. Because normally, right, it's like, okay, if you're in one place, it's like your kid plays on the sports team or they have, you know, this extracurricular thing that they do here or they have, you know, this regular thing. And so when you're traveling to all these different places, how do you guys uh, structure that as parents, particularly for the younger kids when you were kind of starting out? So we just kind of bring them along to everything that we would normally do, whether that's, it's interesting when they start traveling, there's no barriers on age. So they'll play with a 70 year old man and they'll play with a two year old kid just the same and have just as much fun. Obviously they're not into sports and teams and such like that. Like you would, if you were at home, although if we stay in one spot long enough, I right away immerse them into local events and local things going on. So when we were in Spain, they did flamenco classes, which is really culturally really cool because they learned the culture at the same time as the dance here in New Zealand. They're now doing contemporary dance. Um, Chloe's singing um, like they're doing all these different things that uh, Angelique's going to be attending sewing classes at the local seamstress place. You know, so we really fully get them immersed if we can. But obviously when you're traveling, you're, you're spending a week here, a week there. So there's no time for any of that. But like I said, like, so we just bring them along. I mean, we don't really look for age appropriate things. Like the craziest thing I think we did and any listener of yours who's been a digital nomad in Bali is like that group of digital nomads that, you know, are there, the yoga kind of people. And we went to this like yoga barn that was like up above. And it was like, after like, I feel like a rave party or something like everyone, no one was talking and everyone's just like dancing. The whole thing was like pumping. And our kids were like really little and they're getting exposed to all these like wacky <laughs> things. And I'm like, I think everyone's just getting down off of whatever they were on the night before. And it was just like, the kids were like, okay. And they were just like, I know. So, I mean, like, I wouldn't necessarily say we do age appropriate things. We just do whatever is going on and they just kind of come along with us. But of course, if there's cool things happening, that's where we go with the kids and we, but they, they get exposed to quite a bit. So. And how do you structure your lifestyle on a daily or weekly basis? And I know it changes probably from location to location, but as a general concept, right? When you're trying to balance, okay, we're in a place and we want to go see the cool stuff that's here and also we have to do our schoolwork and also yep. you you have to run your business <laughs> and also you have to plan the travel logistics for how you're going to actually get to the next place and book transportation and accommodations and all that. And you're juggling all of these things. So can you talk a little bit about how it works for you guys that you're able to structure and balance and do that in a way that's healthy and fulfilling and, you know, that works? Yep. So we put our priorities in place. Like we know certain things need to get done in a day. And obviously, you know, we're driven. And so those things become a priority. But when you're traveling and moving around, a lot of things get pushed off and we're like, okay, well, we can do this later. It doesn't really matter. It's not as urgent. You know what I mean? So you just, and the same goes with their school and with everything within our business. We've also structured it so that we don't necessarily have to be as involved And so we can outsource some of the stuff to our team. You know, a lot of the time, like, for example, my whole trip in Africa, I had a really good virtual assistant who was my right hand. And so she was able to do all those things that 
all the the tasks and with shared email systems and stuff like that. So I didn't have to be present and worried about, oh my gosh, did I miss an email from a client that, you know, they urgently needed me, you know, she was on it. And so just having those systems in place, relieve all that pressure. Um, But it is a lot. It is a lot of extra when you have to plan, where am I going to sleep? How are we going to get there? You know, what about this? What about, you know, all those little things, um, let alone everything else. So a lot of times certain things get pushed aside and then done later. Um, Other times we just are, you know, if we're in a place for a long time, like in Cambodia, I feel like how long we were there, but we were there enough time that we started getting in a routine. We knew where the internet was good. It was at like some backpackers place and we can drink smoothies all day and have some lunch there. And we would just like literally set up camp. So we looked like this really weird family, like all of our laptops out, everyone doing their work. And then we would just go have fun. So yeah, it just depends on where we are. (laughs) Do you have stability anchors or structure of some kind that sort of transitions as you go from one place to another that grounds your kids and, you know, that remains sort of consistent from place to place? Like, how do you establish stability? It comes, I think, down to, it sounds really funny, but it's the food we eat. Doesn't that sound strange? The stability and a feeling of being home comes with like when we have certain meals and that it feels homey and we sit at the table and we have a meal together like that. If they can have that, my kids in every country we go to, they have that sense of homey feeling. Um, We try to have things that are kind of structurally like the same every week, because as you know, when you travel, you're kind of get blended, right? Your, your schedules and stuff. And so we do like usually on the weekends, the crepe weekend where we have crepes with maple syrup, we have Friday night movie night. So we try to keep these little rituals everywhere we go, if we can. It just looks different, right? In different countries. Yeah, absolutely. And then are you able to, like, for example, ever go out on a date with your husband and have somebody else watch the kids or like have alone time to yourself where like you, you could spend a day at the, you know, the spa or like whatever, like doing your own thing or like, you know, hanging out with a girlfriend or like how do those sort of aspects come into play in this lifestyle? Okay, let me try and back it up when they're younger, because now it's so easy. They're at the age where they're the ones going out, having fun, you know. Right. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. When they were younger, I guess is the question. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. I'm trying to think like when they were really young, like we would just sometimes trust people to babysit the kids and we would go out. So we did have like date nights. Well, the, the best we ever found, this is phenomenal. So, and this is one of the reasons we just loved it in Europe. They had the jazz festival happening. And so they had free daycare. So our kids could go and it was till 2 a.m. Imagine that. And so it was just amazing. So we would enroll them in into this daycare and we were out having beautiful concerts. And like, so yeah, we did date night for like a full 21 days in a row, I feel like during that one summer when they were still young. So again, it's, it's so varied and you'll meet people like grandparents along that way that are there traveling. They're just like missing their grandbabies. So they'll be like happy to take the kids for a little while. And then what we did when we were traveling in the Euro camps, they had kids programs. And so we would send the kids off. And so sometimes our dates are fun. were during the daytime hours, you know, so just like just varied a little bit in that way. But yeah, I would say we still were able to manage quite a bit of that along the way. That's amazing. And how do you and your husband sort of divide the responsibilities that go along with all of this lifestyle in terms of like all of the trip planning and logistics and the education and the overseeing of the homeschool curriculum and the running of the business and all of these different things that have to function together coherently? How do you divide that and how does that work? Okay. So over the years, we've actually, we've become really good at just knowing that he's good at this and I'm good at that. And so he does all of the planning and the searching and researching and finding out where to go and who to contact. And he does all of that. I do all the communication. Every single communication goes through me with clients and our team. And then he oversees now we have our YouTube channel. So he oversees the production side of that. And I oversee the action of getting it all together and done. So we all, we just wear different roles. And I think the biggest key is to not really try and tell each other what to do. And that's where explosions happen. And so we just let each other do what we do best. And that seems to work pretty good. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's awesome. And what do you guys do in terms of healthcare and all that kind of stuff? You're traveling to a lot of different countries. If a kid gets sick or something happens, like how do you guys handle that? Yep. So we have a uh, right now depending on the countries that we go to, especially now with pandemic, because there's a lot of places that aren't covered, but we have digital nomad type of insurances that you can purchase along the way. In some countries, we just pay out of the pocket if we have to go because it's so cheap that it really doesn't matter. So it really depends on where we are with what we do. But yeah, there's some really cool health insurances that you can just buy even when you're out of the country, you know, even if you've been gone so many days, which is different than what it was years back where you couldn't have those options. Yeah. Well, I also want to ask you about some of your travel hacks and affordability techniques. You mentioned at the beginning this concept of the home exchange. And I was wondering if you can just share a little bit about that for folks that have never heard about it, how that works. And then any other sort of hacks or techniques that you developed along the way to do this reasonably affordably? Yeah. Home exchange has been one of the biggest key factors to making it affordable and the ability to have a home feeling a home base, which as a family is a massive, massive advantage because, you know, if you're single alone, it's one thing to be working on a hotel in a bedroom, but when there's five of you in a little bedroom, oh my gosh, it's just like, it's, and we've done that. I mean, but it's not, it's not healthy and it's not fun. You know, after a while you're just like, okay, I want normalcy. I want my own space, like all those things. So having home exchange and the way it works and people probably don't understand it fully. So let me quickly try and explain it. Basically there's many platforms out there. Um, there's one called people like us, there's home exchange, there's love home swap. I found the best one to be home exchange just because of the fees. You don't have to pay a fee each time you ex- exchange. Uh, it's just really well to be able to search and, and message people and, and all that. But people like us is actually becoming really cool as well. So these are all sites where people list their home. It's a sharing community. So people have the same type of mindset. Often they're people who enjoy travel. So there's that common base of travel. And basically you put up your home and so people can come and stay They can swap with you directly, meaning you go directly to their house and they come directly to your house, or they can swap for a different time so they can come to your house and then you'll eventually go to their house, you know, years down the road or whenever it is. There's also points so they can pay you in points. And so then you have a buildup of points that you can use in all the other countries around the world. And so it essentially, you get free travel because you are not paying out of your pocket. And when you're getting to these homes, they're fully set up with sometimes surfboards, sometimes you have paddle boards, sometimes you have kayaks, sometimes you have like full movie theater rooms. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of homes we stayed in that are just unbelievable. And in exchange, you get everything that you can possibly need, all your kitchen supplies, your, you know, your, your utensils, because how many times have we been to an Airbnb and you're like, you can't cook in their kitchen. Like they say it's equipped, but it's really not. And then you have to go buy your oil and your vinegar and your salt and your pepper and all the ingredients. And then you have to move. So you're not going to carry all that with you. You know what I mean? And so home exchange has literally revolutionized the way we travel. I wish we knew about it, you know, before when we first started, but yeah. The other major thing I want to ask you about is social life and friends and social interaction, especially for kids, right? I mean, people ask me this question all the time as a nomad, but like as kids are growing up, right? That question, I think, probably becomes even more profound. So can you share a little bit about that and their social situation in this lifestyle? Sure. Okay. So they are amazingly social. It's phenomenal. And through kids, you actually end up meeting so many people because they're always the ones that are out. Like our first time when we were in Europe, the very first day they met these little kids. And the next thing you know, we had a full Spanish speaking family and we're very open. So we're like, Hey, come on over for dinner, you know? And we had it was hilarious. So we were like, they didn't speak English. We hardly spoke Spanish. And we were having this family interact. And then we went on like a a whole journey with them. Anyway, it was hilarious. But your kids are the ones that bring in the people oftentimes. And they're so social. Like I said, they'll play with anybody. So they don't have the typical friendship that you meet when you have your best friend and you see them every single day. They don't have that. But they do, especially now with technology, they are able to keep in touch with a lot of their friends that they've met along the way. And to one advantage, depending on what type of school you go to, you only have like a certain group of 
friends to choose from. When you travel, you get exposed to everybody. You can kind of choose who you really want to be friends with and and keep in touch with those friends. But they've met amazing people all around the world. So yeah, when people say socialization, I think that's a joke because like they're so socialized, it's not even funny. And then what we do is I usually try to find now that they're youth, I find the youth programs through like the different community here. And a lot of times when you're sending them to these programs, they're like supervised and like, you know, they're getting exposed to all different types of kids and meeting people. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. We've even adopted kids along the way. (laughs) We've like adopted a little boy from Estonia and he was like traveling with us, had all these sleepovers, you know, in, oh my gosh, in, this is hilarious. So when we were in Malaysia, there was a little girl, actually she was from New Zealand as well. And her parents were like, yeah, she can go with you. And like, so we just like bring kids with us, like as if you were like at home, it's just crazy. Like, yeah. That's amazing. So how would you say that this lifestyle has impacted your family dynamic just internally in terms of how your daughters relate to each other and like how your family is versus a family that is, you know, maybe in a more traditional situation? Yeah. Or even the way I was brought up, for example, like there's no way, you know, when you're in your teenage years hanging out with your parents, I would have been like, oh my gosh, get me away. You know, I wanted to go do my own thing. And, but I think when you're traveling together as a unit, you become close in a different way. You know, you're spending a lot of time together. And so you end up becoming really good friends with your kids. And I don't know, like we, we tend to like really get along. I think the pandemic might have done this to a lot of families as well. People that are busy and they don't even like really sit down for meals together. They're here, they're there. This one's in sports, this one's working, you know, all of that stuff that goes along with it. I think with COVID and lockdowns, people have had to, you know, stay together and make it work and like realize that there might be problems that you have to work on. And so I think that's kind of what happened to us early on. Like that's how we've been living. And so, you know, we're definitely not perfect. Like we probably are the most very dysfunctional type of people in a sense, but we make it work. And then we actually enjoy like spending that time together. You know what I mean? So it's, it's different. It's totally different, but yeah, it's definitely brought us together. hundred percent. What would your girls say has been the impact of all of the travel experiences on them, right? Being able to do this and see a hundred countries and see so much of the world and experience all of these things, how would they describe what impact that has had on them? It's so normal for them. I wonder what I should ask them those type of questions because it is for them. It's just normal. It's their normal lifestyle. And I think only when they're speaking to other kids who have been like, you know, I haven't even left my one, you know, state or my one area, they realize, oh, wow. You know, yeah, I think for them, it's just normal. What do you see then as a parent, right? Like when you see other kids that are like the same age group that like went through the traditional thing and still live in the same town where, you know, you grew up or whatever versus your kids, what do you see has been the impact of this many years of travel on their growth and development as human beings? I think, well, big time. So I think for one, there's not as much judgment on people who maybe have or people who have not, you know, when I see my kids and we've been in countries where they're just like playing with the other kids that literally have nothing. And then there's like a compassion that comes into play that they have with an understanding. And there's also the whole waste thing. Like they, they see countries that just have all the waste just outside. And so then they get thinking about, you know, well, where does the waste go in these other countries? And like, oh, it's just kind of hidden, you know, but it's still there. And then they don't want to just consume as much as the other, maybe as what we grew up with, you know, it just, it changes them as a human being for sure. Open to trying new things and just open to just differences of the way people are. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, changed the way they think probably in compared to the way I grew up a hundred percent different. Yeah. That's amazing. But I also want to ask you about your travel content creation and the entire family's involvement in it, which has been so amazing to see. You've now got over 50,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. You've got your blog, you've got your social media, which has over 10,000 people on Instagram and everything else. So you're developing quite the following. Your content is super substantive and interesting. I definitely want everybody to go check it out. But can you talk about the process of developing that and how the role of the whole family and being involved in that? I think it's been amazing because it actually 
puts more of a purpose behind everything we do. And we want to now share it with the world. The girls want to learn more about the area and then expose, you know, what's cool to see, what's cool to do and some of the different things. And everyone's involved in a different way. So I have Julia and Angelique right now who are fully premier pro proficient. They can go in there and and do all the edits and everything like that. Uh, We're working on learning transitions and such right now. Chloe is the one who pre-edits our geography classes. So she's even learning, you know, at the age of 13, how to to function inside of Premier Pro. Um, And they're seeing all the business side of it. Like we treat it like a business and we have deadlines and production calendars and like all these kind of things that have to get done. So we we work really strongly as a team unit together, which is, ah, it's really fun. So, and yeah, we just love sharing what we're doing. And some, some are great videos that are like, you know, super informative and others are just like our family having fun. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. I love your content. Can you tell folks how they can check it out, uh, where you want them to go and how they can find you and follow you and watch your videos and all that good stuff? Yeah, 100%. So on YouTube and all social medias under Growing Up Without Borders, on our website, growingupwithoutborders.com, if people want to subscribe to our newsletter, I do pump out a little video uh, about what we're up to currently, so you can follow us currently. And uh, yeah, everything social media under Growing Up Without Borders. Awesome. All right, Chantel, at this point, are you ready to wrap this up and move in to the lightning round? I am. Let's go. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out? I honestly don't have a full answer because there are so many good books out there. You know, if you say book about this, book about that. So just out of the blue and everyone's read this one already, but it's the four hour work week. If people want to kind of get involved and start, and I know it kicked you off and travel and me as well. Yeah. There you go. If you could have dinner with any one person who's currently alive today that you've never met, just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation, who would you pick? It would be Julia Roberts. I just love her as an actress and like, that's just one person. I mean, like when you ask that question, I'm like, who in the world would it be? But yeah, just for the fun of it, I just like to go hang out with her. That's a great answer. That would be a fun dinner. All right. If you could go back in time, knowing everything that you know now and give one piece of advice to your 18 year old self, what would you say to 18 year old Chantel? I would say when you're making decisions, Take the time to decide. That's what I'd say. Awesome. All right. Of all of the places that you have now been, which is over 100 countries, what are your top three favorite destinations that you'd most recommend other people should definitely check out? South Africa, New Zealand, Spain, Switzerland, and let's see. Well, Nicaragua. Did I say Nicaragua? Nicaragua. And Mexico. Oh my gosh, I have too many. (laughs) We'll give you five. Okay. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you have not yet been highest on your list you most want to see. Okay. The country of Georgia. I've just heard really cool things about it. And Pakistan. I'm really excited. And I can't wait to see what Iran is like. I'm so excited to go meet the people. I want to meet the people of these countries. Good for you. Yeah. Iran is super tippy top on my list. Pakistan, I was actually supposed to go in 2020 before COVID. I was supposed to go to Lahore for a month uh, and post up. I've been to the Indian side of Punjab. I've been to Amritsar. But the Pakistani side of Punjab, which is where the city of Lahore is, uh, I have not been and I was planning to go and I had a trip scheduled and then the COVID thing happened. So uh, that's also super high on my list. And then Georgia, I spent probably about three weeks in Tbilisi. Oh, wow. Yeah, really recently. I mean, it was like the last year of travel, which was, what was that, 2019 or so. So should I be excited? Yeah, it's a very cool, very cool place. It's a really, really cool place. And I'm happy to give you some tips when you guys are ready to plan your trip there. But that's a good one, good one to have on your list. So awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, Chantel, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Maverick Show. This was a blast. Can you give out your information one more time? If people want to connect with you, contact you, follow you on social media, how do you want people to come into your universe? 
I want them to go to YouTube to subscribe to our channel and share our videos at Growing Up Without Borders. <laughs> we are going to put that along with all of your other contact info in the show notes. So folks can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Just go to the show notes for this episode. And there you will find everything that we discussed in this episode, including all of the resources uh, that Chantel recommended and all of the ways to contact her and check out her amazing content. Chantel, thank you so much for being on the show. This was amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Can't wait to connect with you again. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.